Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ Helms, and we're here today to talk with another disruptor who has steered his horse off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Our guest today used to fight fires in the Colorado wildlands. He now fights cybersecurity fires. We're talking to him today about the challenges and difficulties that CISOs and other technology experts are faced in healthcare today, especially in healthcare, and what these challenges are doing that are demanding disruption in technology, security, and leadership. Please welcome CISO and Executive Director of IT Security at ValleyWise Health in Phoenix, Arizona, Todd Bell. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Yes. Hello, Todd. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Hey, things have been pretty busy. Things are very busy, especially in your arena. So I want we're talking about, um, gosh, the challenges that are facing healthcare that are demanding disruption. I want you to tell me what is your main ingredient for disruption? Well, right now I'm looking at a plethora of things. As you know, in healthcare, a lot of our peers are being attacked from a ransomware perspective. And so it's really forcing us to up our game because there's a lot of things that I think traditional hospitals would kick the can down the road. And we're really being forced to innovate because if you don't innovate, you're not changing, you're getting more stagnant and you're gonna become a greater target. So the funny thing is hackers, are actually driving innovation because it's forcing us to be better because if you do not improve you're going to be a sitting duck and you don't want to be based with one of these ransomware events that's actually a really succinct soundbite hackers are driving innovation nothing like a really scary counter intention to force you to innovate for safety and security Oh, absolutely. And this is where we're really having to bring in a strong vision and leadership because none of this happens without, sure, we need technology tools and things to be able to do our job, but also we have to show up with a different mindset. And what I mean by that is that leadership plays a critical role and we can't get bogged down with the bureaucratic or political challenges of the job but how do we find ways to navigate this? Because sure, there's guardrails in healthcare, but how do we safely navigate, be agile, quick, and responsive? Because there's an adage of saying that, you know, in marketing, it's all about first to market, and in cybersecurity, it's about first to respond. And we have to be very proactive, and we have to be that tip of the spear in order to be able to handle these cybersecurity threats. And so you look at what are the underpinning issues, and it really comes down to your technology platform. And you know, you have a lot of these uh, applications and technologies in an organization, 
and we're really forced to, we have to be changing these platforms because if we don't, we become vulnerable. And sure, we want to be better, provide better patient care for our, our patients. You know, we want to strive in that area, but it's really hackers that are forcing the innovation for us because the companies that didn't innovate, they became news stories and you know, they became bad news stories let's put that in perspective and, right and revenue hitting too because uh, what happens in these type of situations is you lose all it systems and it forces you to pen and paper and you're filling up forms for taking care of patients and so now we're talking 1980s here and that's a revenue hit because you have a situation that's called diversions that you're not able to provide some of the complex patient care to being able to have ambulances arriving because you're backlogged and you're doing this paper process and we become incredibly inefficient at our jobs. So that's why it's really revenue impacting. So it's so paramount that you have to innovate because if you don't, you're going to really hurt your organization from a revenue perspective. So that you know, that's really very interesting because healthcare has always been the topic or the, the bane of existence uh, as far as revenues go, right? It either costs too much and hospitals don't have enough money or, you know, that's always been a topic of discussion. But you were saying that the main ingredient really is you have to have a different mindset to innovate and not fall into the trap that healthcare has so commonly fall fell into right of slow to move bureaucratic sometimes even political kick the can down the road right not be as proactive um just as an aside you know having a different mindset and going in i would imagine that you maybe i'm wrong but you get a lot of pushback on some innovative I'm ideas. So glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, the funny thing is prior to my job, I, I used to be working for a FinTech, disrupting the space. And so I'm used, I'm coming out of the cloud into an on-premise type of environment that is really not cloud friendly. And, and that is for, you know, healthcare in general, not just our organization. And so there's a lower cloud adoption. And so you're right. I know that at times my peers might find me difficult and I'm fully cognizant of that. But I also invest very heavily into my business partnerships because what we're trying to do is we're pushing each other. And I do get pushback. There's no doubt about it. But it's how you do it. You bring in that sense of humor and you'll sometimes you have to be very humble about, okay, I'm sorry. I know I'm pushing you. I'm a pain in the butt, but hey, just think about these great outcomes that are going to come out of this and you know the things that you're doing your team is driving and changing and it's really about having to work hard at those relationships because it becomes a force multiplier because you could be strong as an individual and you start to factor in all those other departments that's a force multiplier and that's how we start to achieve great things and you know i give a lot of credit to my cio who we're considered in the healthcare industry as kind of forward thinking organization. And the funny thing is, we're this safety net hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, that we take care of the underserved and we you know, have Burn Center and Behavioral Health, and we have multiple hospitals. And 
we don't get a lot of funding. All the other healthcare organizations uh, have way deeper pockets than we do. But why are we doing better than others? And it really comes down to we have to have very technical people because technology can be used to weaponize. And I say not in an evil perspective, but the more technical you have for people, the greater things that can be achieved. And as an executive advisor in my previous lives, that I would be a higher gun, I would go into these organizations, I might be their CIO or a, or a chief for uh, short periods of time. And I would recognize that the companies that had more technical people produced higher results, better growth, better top line improvements for the organization compared to companies that were a little lower tech and their performance was lacking. And so this is where it kind of goes back to that mindset of how you hire, how you operate, how you interact with others. And so it's not just about the great sexy technology, which we all think of. Technology is just one piece of a holistic picture. That makes sense. And that's why you're saying that the disruption is, the demand for the disruption is also in the leadership, not just Absolutely. the technology. Not so just an idea. Yeah. yeah. So you so you're a bit of a hybrid. I mean, you're coming into this from fintech, which is very disruptive, very fast moving, nimble, able to change things very quickly into an environment that, like you said, likes to kick the can down the road. Let's not confront that yet. Wait, we have changes. We don't know how that's going to work. Very conservative type of approach, right? Ways the pros and cons forever before they decide to do something. <laughs> but um, Let's talk about the status quo in that particular environment, because you said you're a very forward thinking organization, but you don't have deep pockets, but you're doing better than others. Before we talk about that, paint the status quo of the others. And what's that typically been like in this environment? Well, we get this feedback from our vendors that you know, that we do have some vendors that um, do an amazing job at providing healthcare services. And then we definitely have a good handful of vendors that are just slow to market on everything. And we're the ones that are pushing them. And they would give us feedback, well, gosh, nobody else is asking that. You know, I'm like nothing new. We're just asking for something. And so we push our vendors hard. We try to do a better job at trying to find better ways to operate, you know, operational efficiencies. And that's really kind of looking at your own house. What kind of house are you running? And this is where that continuous improvement comes into play in ITIL processes that we're always constantly challenging ourselves. So it's not just about me. This is a collective force and you amplify that by trying to achieve greatness. And what is the status quo in the sense of, you know, the industry itself? It's, is it, I don't want to say lazy, but do they just keep doing the same things that they've been doing? The, the innovation is not part of it. The proactive part is not part of that. Like what, paint that picture for me. And when you say vendors, give me an example. Maybe you can't uh, talk about your own vendors, uh, but. Sure, but I think the status quo that we see out there in other healthcare organizations is it's kind of a set it, forget it mentality when it comes to technology. 
and really writing that technology investment into the ground that other organizations might do technology refreshes every three years. And in healthcare, we see like every 10 years. And so this is where we see the lower adoption rates, especially when it comes to cloud. Now, when it comes to some of our vendors, we have some vendors that uh, like electronic healthcare platforms. We have one in particular, one of the large ones, and while it's a good tool, it's almost like having SAP or Oracle ERP in your hospital. And it requires an army of people to operate this thing. It takes a lot of money just from an expenditure perspective. It takes uh, nearly 40 people to do an quarterly upgrade. And our teams do an amazing job at it, but, but it, it just requires armies of people to operate a platform. And when you look at the other technologies out there that are available in the space, and, and let's say that's human capital resource management, for instance, there's a whole plethora of cloud companies out there. And we need to see something like that happening in healthcare because what's not happening is we have these lethargic platforms that are slow to market, slow for innovation, slow to offer more patient features, even to a point where in my role, I asked one of these platform vendors that, hey, I'm just concerned that, you know, we have millions of patients' data information. I want to make sure that, hey, it's encrypted, right? Oh, no, we don't want to do that. And I have this in writing. They're not encrypting patient data and using, you know, obscure databases uh, and, and just unique products that nobody really has heard of compared to normal industry tools that we're accustomed to. And so we see a space, and not to frighten you, but we, we do our own level of protections because we're also being forced to make up for the vendor shortcomings in healthcare. And that's big for us. And so I have to go get other technologies to make up for the product shortcomings of healthcare systems that we have in our organization. And well, that is scary. It, it is. It's scary. It's it's uh, cost prohibitive. It seems exorbitant in terms of man hours. So that is so interesting to me, right? So this is sort of like let's pull the curtain back <laughs> about what's really happening. <laughs> I don't like what you see. <laughs> yeah, these lethargic systems—they're not efficient. It's set it and forget it. it. Takes armies of people to handle, and you as the hospital system, right? <laughs> like IT compliance and security and so forth, you have to make up for the shortcomings. This is the status quo. What, why is it in healthcare that this has become the status quo of set it and forget it? Like, why is that? You know, I remember, gosh, nearly uh, 20 years ago, watching Larry Ellison, uh, CEO for, uh, past CEO for Oracle, and doing a uh, Colorado Technology Association meeting, and he wanted to do the electronic health records and database protections for people and everything. And I find myself 20 years later, fast forward, and being in almost the same situation. And this is why I've been very vocal about come disrupt healthcare. We've seen it for banking. Think about China, you know, how it disrupted banking. You know, here's a highly regulated industry, and you know, there's guardrails everywhere. There's, there's like a million guardrails. You 
guardrails, but they figured out a way to navigate within those guardrails. You think about Robinhood, they found a way to navigate the guardrails of the SEC, you know, on the brokerages. And so, sure, we have our guardrails, whether it's uh, compliance to, you know, a whole plethora of other frameworks out there that, you know, we have to comply with, but the industry needs to be disrupted and like FinTech. And, and that hasn't really happened yet. We see these little small players coming along, you know, they might have a little idea of that, oh, I could maybe make this little piece of healthcare a little bit more interesting, but it's not hitting it holistically across the board. It's very small niche players that are coming into healthcare, but it needs to be on a broader scale. And especially some of these uh, big providers, you know, whether it's an MRI machine or a CAT scan machine or some of this equipment, this needs to be challenged because they have been the dominant players in the space and they need new, small, fast, nimble players to come into the space. Sure, it's complicated. Yes, it has to go through FDA regulations and you know, manufacturing standards that are crazy over the top strict, but for very good reasons, but it's not happening yet. And so that's why healthcare is right for disruption. I love it. So this is really a call to arms. <laughs> it's a call to action yeah. <laughs> for new, fast, nimble players to come in. I hear this a lot. I speak to a lot of disruptors and you know, you have the behemoths in the industries. They don't really have a need to change because what they've been doing has been being accepted for a very long time. It does take those outside nimble players to come in and challenge the status quo. You're absolutely right, because uh, even uh, when it comes to some of the, for instance, you know, we're going through a budget cycle right now, and I'm sure you've heard of APIs, it's application programming uh, interfaces. And if you think about your bank mobile app, you know, it probably has about 30 APIs that connects out to all these different services and trying to pull data in. And you don't get charged for that. But in healthcare, we pay for APIs, internet connections, back to these organizations ranging anywhere from $5,000 to $35,000 a year just to have that internet connection between you know, their service and us. And that's something that's already baked into the product. And so it's almost like a resort fee for software. It drives me nuts. You know, it, it, it's like, you know, uh, you know, motel going to charge a resort fee. <laughs> yeah, it's exorbitant. It's user, it's usury. It's like, let's get away with it uh, for as long uh, as we can. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, you look at a software contract and you feel like you're at a hotel. <laughs> yes. All Looking the different fees that you have to pay and this and that. <laughs> well, that's definitely one area that needs to be disrupted. What are you doing at Valley Health that uh, is so forward thinking? Well, not only just in our leadership style and how we try to operate function and also the close relationships, but also how we have a, a partnership with our vendors as well. I know a lot of companies like to, they almost, people in IT seem to take pride about beating up their vendors. And I look at my vendors strategically that, you know what, I can't, you know, everything we have, we bought from a salesperson. So you can't just look down on those people. You got to actually use them as your partners to help you because you want them to make money 
Maybe you want to also a reasonable price as well. And when you have that, this is when you can have your vendors start to help you up your game. And you get to find out, well, hey, these people are doing this over here. Hey, that's a great idea. We should be doing that too. And this is how you start to raise the votes because partnering with your vendors is really crucial. And I don't treat them like second-class citizens, which I think a lot of people in IT do. I treat them as my business partners as well. See, there you go. There's another change in mindset. And it seems so simple and even banal to say, oh, yes, you're going to treat your vendors well. But the status quo is they've been treated badly or not as partners, right? So that yeah, does create I, I, an adversarial relationship, oh, I would imagine. Because you're going to get lousy service. And you know what? I, I do go to uh, events to learn more about my vendors and my current ones and maybe some potential new ones. But it's how I stay plugged into what's happening because I get to talk to my peers and I get to learn what they're doing as well. So it comes down to how I operate because I'm looking for good ideas of how I can up my game as well. And that's a really crucial component because it, it's just you have to look at from so many different facets and not just the technology itself. I think that's another interesting mindset that you bring to the table because healthcare being set it and forget it probably has a lot to do with the regulations. We got approved. <laughs> this is approved. So we're going to set it and forget it. Right. But here you are looking for changes. Like what can we change? What can we improve? What can we do differently? Right. What is, what are the top three things? I don't know if you have top three, but what are the top three things where you're like, we need disruption in this in healthcare? Well, I try to find the what's in for them. And so I kind of look at the situation and kind of look at from somebody else's name because I'm gonna have to go pitch it to somebody, whether it's my CIO or somebody in a different uh, business group. And so I try to see it through their lens of what's in it for them, why do we want to do it, what are the compelling reasons? And then you know, I try to build out, okay, well, let's kind of meet on this and start to think about what that vision could look like. And at the same time, try to turn it into, instead of it being just my idea, making it their idea. And, and that's a really crucial step in this process because if it's all about you thinking that your ideas are better than everybody else's, you're gonna fail miserably. You're just gonna end up being frustrated at leaving the organization. Sounds like you're in PR, not IT. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you could just add salesman to my job. Talk about <laughs> <laughs> well, what is a number one disruption that's really needed that frustrates you that you wish some small players would come in and just disrupt the market? Would it be like with the API situation or, you know, give me some, give me some more examples. Well, I look at the technology stack and, you know, yesterday I kind of had a moment that I was discussing with some other leaders and I was complaining about our software pricing, going through our renewals right now, and I'm seeing our software licensing going up 25 to almost 50% across the board. And, uh, you know, these are huge spikes. And I recognize that, you know, we're paying more for labor, you know, because people were probably being underpaid. I get it. So I expect to see maybe a 20% increase. But when you start to get over 30%, I really start to change. That. And, and it really rubs me. And so this is where I've been trying to figure out 
you know, why are we paying more for this? Is this about gouging us? Is this about taking advantage of us? And, and I think there's a, a little bit of both here because one of the key things, and this is kind of a 1990s concept, is you always want to have good stickiness. That if you're a salesperson and you want to sell a piece of software, you want to have it be very sticky that you don't want that thing getting ripped out. And so you want that thing to get all these things connected to it. The more intertwined, the more interconnected it is, the harder it is to rip out. And when you are an on-premise, uh, mostly on-premise type of environment, it puts you in those kind of situations. And you're going to be paying more for technology because if you had more in the cloud, you can be faster and nimble and you could change vendors in a much quicker and faster because if one wants to jack up the price on you, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to switch to this other cloud vendor. And so it's important to try to transition from an on-premise environment. And I know that there's some good reasons why, you know, in case of this internet or, you know, but we also are in an era that we have plenty of redundancy systems that, you know, we can have quadruple type of redundancy for internet connectivity that, if you don't go to the cloud, you're going to be paying too much in technology because you're going to have these vendors that know how to kind of work this against you, that you're so intertwined that it's like, oh, they're never going to be able to rip it out because we're so integrated. And once you kind of hit, you know, once you fit like 10 things you've integrated with, they know you're never leaving. You, you can't even if you want to. And that's why it's so important to do these cloud transformations of getting off-prem into the cloud because what's happening is you're disabling yourself, you're paying too much for technology, you're paying too much in IT labor because you're not getting the benefit and scale of cloud. You just can't argue the economics and the benefits of cloud. So here's another call to arms, guys. <laughs> more efficient technology, less costly, and more cloud transformation. Absolutely. That's really what you're looking for. And this is what healthcare needs. Who is the ultimate beneficiary of that? Patients. You know, we want to deliver a world-class experience for our patients. And in order to do that, we recognize that we have an aging population. We have a young population. And the expectations are they want to have healthcare on their mobile phone. And so we have to be able to have very good mobile technologies available to be able to not only set up appointments, which we can currently do, and look at test results, which we can currently do. But what is lacking is how do you tie that, all that information together? Because you may notice that, let's say you have some type of a health condition. You're having to go through 10 different people, like you know, all these different specialists, but none of that gets really tied together and paints the picture because you miss those indicators, ailments from a healthcare perspective, because you're it's all these data silos. You, you know, you're going this one doctor office, then the next doctor office, all the specialists here, and then the other one, but it never really ties in that really well with your primary physician. And how do you connect those dots? And there's data points that are being missed. And you're not going to have a complete diagnosis if you are going to all these different places. So I know there's some hospitals that can be a one-stop shop, which I think is terrific, but you know, 
it also takes a long time to be able to do that. And a lot of conventional hospitals, you usually have to go to, you know, whether it's you know, four or 10 different type of healthcare providers based on what your diagnosis is, you know, being able to tie that together because so many patients experience this runaround of healthcare that, well, it could be this, or it could be that. And there's kind of these blanket diagnoses that it could be that. And, and well, so that's kind of a common diagnosis, but really not drilling down into what is that the most accurate diagnosis. And so it comes down to data. Data is the new oil, and we have to do a better job connecting the dots with our data and our partners. And so it is a huge struggle that we try to get these data points from our other providers that we work with to being able to provide better health, which is really crucial because, you know, think about your past loved ones of the runaround that they've experienced and the doctor says this and this doctor says that and, and the patient's confused. It's terrible. It's just frustrating. Sometimes it's even heartbreaking. But this is even more of a reason why you're begging for cloud transformation because this connection of dots of data and data is the new oil, right? But weaponizing data for good for oh, the patients, for the ultimate the end goal of healthcare, which is to care for the health of others, right? Yeah, because you know what? You know, my wife does, uh, my daughter's had medical challenges and she's got so much run around. And it was my wife who would not give up and she was a patient advocate for her daughter and she was just bold on, you know, get to the bottom of things and finally was able to get the diagnosis after years and years of running around and us wasting thousands and thousands of dollars of tests. And it was that persistence that she got to the bottom of, you know, the diagnosis for our daughter. And so many people experience that and it's like, how can we be better healthcare champion for our patients to help them because we don't want people going through that and we want to provide a better service for these people for better outcomes and, and get into the bottom of things and i think it's just a healthcare problem in general and you know the only way people get to the bottom of their complex health issues is somebody has to be a strong patient advocate for them you know whether it's themselves or somebody that's a loved one well, and with everything that you're saying, and thank goodness for your wife, Mama Bear, oh, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but everything that you're saying is that technology today is the biggest patient advocate. Technology today should be the biggest patient advocate. Yeah, so let's I, say that I, again. Uh, technology today should be the biggest patient advocate. So you're a big like proponent, advocate, of cloud transformation. Have you done anything with ValleyWise Health that has been forward thinking in that particular regard? Well, we keep getting deeper into opportunities. Uh, I'll call it that. And so- That's uh, a very nice way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the way we look at it is, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of learning occurring right now and just trying to be very supportive and trying to get the proper training for people to being able to understand the benefits of it. And so there's uh, some selling and not everybody's on board with Todd's ideas, which is natural. But the thing is, is that we're really being forced 
and you know the driving force for me is you know, one i want to do you know help with our greater strategic goals and better patient outcomes but two hackers are, are really driving innovation because of all these ransomware events. well you're definitely and, a target for hackers now yeah when you said and, oh, yeah okay. go ahead the funny thing is you look at all these uh, bulletins uh that are coming out whether it's our vendors or dhs or fbi you know, the grain of providing good, valuable information. And it's funny how we're finding out that this used to be maybe about once a month type of bulletin to almost daily, you know, if we start really cracking this in. And what I'm starting to see in general across the board, you know, outside of my organization within is I call cybersecurity exhaustion. They're, they're just you call like, cybersecurity what? Exhaustion. Exhaustion. It, you know, because it's like, oh, here's another word. You, you just say the word cyber and people are just like, okay, yes, I know it's bad. The sky's falling and well, things are getting worse. And, you know, we got plenty of people getting on 60 minutes or the news and talking about how bad things are. We're trying to do good things too. And, and so part of trying to improve these, making our organization more secure, but we're also doing other enhancements to improve our performance as well, so we can be more efficient at our jobs. So it's not just about cybersecurity, we're trying to improve our technology while we're doing this. And so there's actually some really positive things that are coming out of this here. And it's not just about doom and gloom, it's about we're trying to be more efficient with our tool sets. And so this way we can uh, provide uh, better patient care and you know being able to have more re resilient uh, systems. And so I'm starting to change my tune from instead of talking about cybersecurity, I'm talking more about business impact analysis, business continuity, uh, that, you know, what does this really mean? With all these alerts, all this craziness going on in the cyber, it really comes down to availability of patient systems. And so I kind of start to treat like ransomware almost like, um, like the power plant going down and, and losing electricity for a week. And so that's how I'm starting to treat cybersecurity. And so I'm talking more from a business impact analysis because one, I think people are tired of talking about cyber, but two, I don't think they really understand cyber that well also. And so we're having to go through kind of an education process because they understand business and numbers really well. And maybe that's our fault because we haven't been doing a good enough job talking about what really matters to them. And when you say talking about, I mean, this is, you know, again, changing a mindset, right? What mindsets have you been able to change at ValleyWise Help that has resulted in either cloud transformation or better outcomes? Because you said you're doing better than most, right? Oh, well, that's a feedback that we get from our healthcare uh, providers and vendors. And so it's flattering to hear that because they say that you're asking things that our other uh, customers aren't. And so, um, but back to your original question, when I first came on board, I noticed that my team was kind of apprehensive about introducing ideas to me. And I think that you know, one, it's a new boss, you know, testing the waters. And it was really important for me to demonstrate to them that this is a safe work environment. And that's a really important attribute from a transformation perspective, because you want to welcome new ideas and not only welcome those ideas, but listen 
and carry them out. And so I have enabled my team to do a lot of things. And when you look at the laundry list of the things that we've done in the past year, it's this long. And I give the credit to my team because I give them a safe work environment to work in. Sure, they make a mistake here and there, but the adage is learn to fail fast. And that's why we've been able to achieve great things because of that safe work environment versus it being a punitive type of environment where a lot of people will say, well, I got you know X number of people under me or working for me. And I have a servitude mindset of that I work with them. And I got to do a really good job about keeping them around because as you know, we're going through the great resignation period right now. And we have people that are paying 20, 30, 40% better than we are. And how do you keep people around? You know, how do you keep them from not bailing ship on you? And so everybody's experiencing difficult turnover. And so what I do is I give them the freedom and the latitude to do things that they probably wouldn't be able to do in other jobs. And so instead of trying to focus on salary or retirement or the benefits, it's about the ability to do things. And I try not to put swim lanes everywhere. I allow them to cross pollinate in different parts of the organization. So I'm not territorial. If anything, it makes them better. I encourage people to learn more and improve themselves if they want to go, even if they want to leave my department, I welcome it because I know that they might end up coming back, but they're becoming a better employee. So it goes back to how you operate as a leader. Well, you're really disrupting healthcare IT leadership, aren't you? From a very punitive environment to one that welcomes transformation. It's quite something. Well, healthcare can be punitive, you know, period. <laughs> well, you know, look at the billing process. You know, sometimes, you know, you go to your mailbox and that's not always a great experience. You know, it's like, oh, why didn't they submit it to my insurance company? Now I got to go pick up the phone and call a 1-800 number. You know, those are the kind of things that people don't appreciate. And we recognize that we, you know, those are areas for improvement. Yes. Well, when was it an epiphany for you, like being in fintech and coming over into healthcare? Was the catalyst part of what went on with your daughter or was it a series of things? Like, how did you come through to this point where, where you are now? I think it came down to uh, timing and also a sense of purpose. And so I liked the CIO and I liked the people that I worked with. And I've been a public servant of the past. And so I've served past public utility boards and special districts. And it was an opportunity for me to come back to public service because we are a taxing authority as a special district uh, since we're building a new hospital. And so that was an opportunity for me to uh, come back and serve my community, except, you know, a different one, you know, in the Phoenix area compared to Colorado. Got it. So public servant, and you I, tell tell me about the wildfires. What did you used to do? <laughs> tell me about oh, gosh. I was just your uh, typical IT nerd guy, and we had a major fire by our ranch in Colorado, and I jumped in as a volunteer, and I recognized that 
I'm going to get myself killed if I don't get some professional training. And I ended up joining a volunteer fire department that I got to be my training and became a certified firefighter and hazmat and red carded and had the opportunity to uh, save some homes uh, in the wildland uh, urban setting. And so was I great at it? Heck no. But I was intrigued by, you see, the destruction and the creation happening all at once. And, and what I mean by that is that when fire happens, uh, you know, pine cones open up and seeds are falling, and it's just a regeneration of the surface of the forest. And so it's really interesting. There's a lot of fire science behind it, and I find it uh, really fascinating because uh, it, it's a pretty cool job, but at the same time, it's a young person's job, not a guy in my age group. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome that you did that. What do you do today? Like, what are your passions today outside of work or your hobbies? Do you have any crazy passions or hobbies? Or you might oh, want to know we're just trying to wrap up business at a ranch. So we have, uh, you know, a cattle ranch in Colorado. We have uh, a little bit of fun with that. But, uh, you know, we're getting ready to close that chapter and just doing house projects. But I do need a new hobby. So I got these golf courses around me here in Scottsdale. So I think I need uh, so you're going to get really good um, at golf now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Well, before you tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you and how they can get a hold of you, what would be your call to action for IT leadership today in healthcare? Be willing to embrace the benefits of cloud. Cloud enablement is so paramount. And I know that they know this as well, but Sometimes we can get beaten down in this job and it takes a lot of tenacity and drive it. Believe me, I get beaten down. I just, you know, try to push, you know, new thoughts and ways of doing things and it's hard. And sometimes I do get my butt handed to me. Um, but that's part of the job of being a leader and you have to have that drive and tenacity to keep trying and not give up and just not, it's like, oh, well, I tried, you know, it's like, oh, it's them, you know, they're the problem. you got to go back to the table and find a different approach because, you know what, I can be wrong at times in the way I present ideas, and I recognize that. And I have to be humble enough to recognize my failure in order to go back and revisit something and try it at a different time in a different situation, showing a different type of presentation to it because obviously the first time around it didn't work and so it requires you to be adaptive got it and that message interwoven in there is the cloud transformation is coming for healthcare it has to happen so you better get on the train and call to arms call to action for these nimble efficient smaller players to come into the market and disrupt. Absolutely. Heck yeah. I like this, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, how can people get a hold of you? LinkedIn. Just look up Todd Bell and uh, you'll see my profile out there. So I keep it current. So, uh, you know, I always get uh, increased with expert networks and just people looking for different thoughts and new ideas and directions. So, so that'd be the best way. Great. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets, especially healthcare, with a tidbit from this show. 
Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.